The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. The Social Screenwriters Podcast. Where Andy talks to people he met on the internet. Hey there, everybody. Welcome to episode 20 of the Social Screenwriters Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Compton, and today on the show we have a very special guest. She is Katie White, at KDW552 on Twitter. Katie is a screenwriter, a director. She has written on uh, a very popular TV show called NCIS. I'm sure you've seen it, or at the very least heard of it. Uh, This is a great episode for TV writers, especially anyone who has entertained the idea of writing for a procedural, um, because it's a very specific type of writing, which we dig into more in this episode. Um, And just a lot of great information on Katie's perspective on writing, how she does it, um, what it's like being a part of a writer's room. Um, you know, writing personalities and how they mesh in a room. We talk about uh, even, you know, the nitty gritty stuff like filing taxes as a screenwriter and um, just advice on that and how how she had to learn that lesson the hard way um, of all the money that she missed out on when tax time came around. How to sell yourself in meetings, how to navigate meetings. I mean, this is just really a wealth of information. Um, so I hope you guys enjoy the episode. If you like what you hear and you want to shout us out on Twitter, you can do that at social writer pod. Uh, give us a shout out, say something you liked, say something you hated, say something I suck at, uh, anything you want and, uh, tag us up. And also if you like the episode and you like the show in general, you can donate to the show if you want to. Uh, it helps me out a lot. These episodes take a little bit to, you know, Uh, record and edit and all that stuff so you can do that at our twitter or instagram the link tree link the top link is a donate button it takes you to a paypal it's all legit if you want to throw a few dollars our way it's super appreciated um that's it guys i hope you enjoyed this episode let's get into it with katie white katie white it's so nice to talk to you (laughs) over zoom how's it going how's everything in your world right now yeah I mean, listen, I'm selfishly just like fixate. I dyed my hair. It was a rash choice where really? I was like, it looks good. It looked like a campfire. And now <laughs> I'm like, what the fuck am I doing? I'm 40. Like, what is this? So I'm trying very hard not to look at my own little picture. Cause it's like my day four where I'm like, what is I doing? Um, yeah. But other than that, I'm doing well. Yeah. I'm doing well. Just been writing this morning and you know, same nice. old, same old. Yeah. Nice. Well, the hair looks amazing for everyone who's just <laughs> listening uh, online. Uh, and yeah, uh, that's cool. Getting some writing done. So on Twitter, you are at KDW552 saying that up top so that people can go follow you. You definitely should. Katie's a good follow. Very funny on Twitter. I, I dig your Twitter presence. Oh, thank you. Of course. Thank yeah. you. I should have probably put, I love that I put like no thought into my Twitter handle. People are like, what does it mean? I'm like, it was literally the first option that popped up. Was it really like one of the suggested <laughs> options? Oh, that's so funny. I was just going to ask, what's right. the 552? Couldn't tell you. That's no awesome. Yeah. yeah, well, you should make up an elaborate lie that makes you stand out right? and seem real original. And yeah. Right. People are cool. like, you're a writer. Why didn't you put more thought into it? I was like, I don't care about Twitter. Like, I don't care. I just wanted to hang out with friends online. 
Yeah, that's the the cool way to go about it. You can be like me or dare I say you. Um, I personally am addicted to it, but I still try to have this cool guy <laughs> sense that like, oh, I don't give a shit, you know, but I am totally like, please be friends with me. My problem is that I really don't care. Like I don't put any thought into what I say on there. Like it's just me. Like people, like I wrote a thread once and people are like, well, do you, like, can I see the original? And I was like, the original what? I was like, I was just rambling at like 11 o'clock at night. So yeah. like it's not, and people are like, at one day it's going to bite you in the ass. And I'm sure it will, but like, yeah. I just don't like people. And I applaud anybody who can like curate a brand on there. Mm-hmm. But I, life is so exhausting that that feels like a whole other job to me. And like, I just don't know if I have it in me. It is. Honestly, I feel like I'm one of those people that really wanted to build a brand. And now like, you know, I've like kind of got like a a little uh, brand established on there and it's fucking exhausting. And some days I'm just like, Jesus, I feel like Twitter's a job, you know, that I don't get paid for. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah, People have weird expectations of you and people assume that you owe them something or owe them. I mean, the amount of people that ask for reads and for years ago, I would, I would do it because I was like, God, like, I know how much that meant to me. Mm-hmm. And then once I started working so much, I was like, Hey, I, I literally don't have the, the time or the bandwidth for this. Mm-hmm. And then people would be like pissed about it. And I was like, but I don't know you. I know, <laughs> I have, right? I barely yeah, have time like, for my close friends who want to read. Like yeah. I'm constantly apologizing. Like, listen, I know we're in week five of you sending that. I'm going to read it. Yeah. I swear to you. And like, you know, close friends are like, yeah, dude, totally get it. You know, take your time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, just, it's brutal. Yeah. No. And as like the older I get, the more I'm like, Hey, time is really valuable. And like, I don't have mine to give to like everybody that mm-hmm. asks for it because like, then there's just nothing left. Yeah. And in addition to like, you know, personal time, R and R time, it's like, I have a career that is not where I want it to be either. So I'm like yeah. trying to build that as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. We could always go higher. Oh, yeah. But um, <laughs> anyway, so I learned actually today because I hadn't really looked into your IMDb or anything. Like a lot of people on Twitter, you know, I just know their screenwriting presence. But um, you're a writer director. I am. I mean, I yeah. have a hard time calling myself that because mm-hmm. like, I don't know. I've directed a couple short films and in my head, I'm like, yeah, like, you know, like I, but like, yeah. I also know that I should stop that. You should. I have a hard time. People are like, you're a writer. I'm like, am I? They're like, yes. I'm like, oh, okay. I like, makes yeah. sense. But like when I got my, even when I got my WGA card, I was like, are they sure? I was like, do they really want this to go to me? So like, yeah. I, I struggle and it's been a while since I've directed. So it's hard for me to really claim that title. And I also just, like writing has always been what's come so naturally to me. Like mm-hmm. I've written my whole life and directing was what was like really challenging and exciting. And like, I really hope to get back in there. Uh, you know, I had a feature that we were trying to put together for a decade. And at one point we had, you know, award-winning actors attached and all these things going well. And then like the indie film world does, everything kind of fell apart. And then one <sighs> of our producers suddenly passed and it was just like, the heaviness of that, I was like, I'm going to take a step back. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've actually like reconnected on that story. And the other producer and I have been like, you know what? We got to get off our asses and like make this happen. But the ind- I bow down to anyone in the indie film world because it is just, it is, <laughs> it's just, it's a labor of love because you, the ups and downs of it are so crushing. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Yeah. You got to be in it for life in that world. 
Which yeah, you, know. you really do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm kind of similar. I am yeah. only doing short films right now. And yeah, it's a long yeah. road to get to that feature or, you know, directing TV, you know, like prominent yeah. TV shows and stuff like it's tough. There's a lot of insanely talented people ahead of you that you're, you know, again, we're all friends, but it, it is competition in a way of just like there's only so many jobs. And you're just like, yeah. how am I ever going to beat those people? <laughs> like, yeah. I, you know what and I mean? Is, so, yeah. And there's yeah. also like the people who've been doing it for 50 some years who just get the, get that work religiously. And it's like, yeah. Time for a new age group to come along, I think. And like kind yes. of fresh things and much like politics, demographic, in that way. you know, would be nice. It's so hopefully we're getting there. Um, but no, it's wild. Like it really yeah. is. Um, fascinating to see like just how hard it is to break into this world oh my is goodness. really Brutal. something terrifying <laughs> um yeah so in addition to your short films that you've done also you wrote on ncis i did i did yeah, yeah. i wrote two freelance episodes for them so i was i was their writer's assistant for four seasons and i got two episodes while i was there that yeah. is so awesome. So, and yeah. that's how you got your WGA card. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. That. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, usually I jump into things with just like going to the very beginning of your journey, but right now I just kind of want to hop into the NCIS thing. Yeah. So like, how did that come about? And like, um, where were you kind of in your journey at that time? Well, it came about, it was half talent, half nepotism. Like I okay. own, I own that completely okay. that I had at the time I had a couple scripts that were getting me great meetings. I had, you know, a meeting at HBO that I was so pumped about. And then I got there and realized it was somehow with like the documentary department, which I still can't figure out how my manager at the time pulled that off and mm -hmm. why, but it was like the deflation of a balloon when you show up and you realize that like you're with the wrong department yes. to everything. But like I had a script that people were really were enjoying. I'd done well in some festivals and I was really like going to do this on my own. I was like, I don't want any help from my family. Like I, and everybody, in my family's back East. And I was like, this is my industry. Like you guys know nothing about it. And my dad was like, Hey, I happened to chat with somebody I went to college with. He works in TV and he's going to meet you for lunch and like talk about TV. And I was like, Oh yeah. Lord. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, mm -hmm. You yeah. to do this again, you know, when your parents set you up on those things and you're like, oh, this will be great. Yeah. And, the guy, and the guy was like, I'm not hiring for anything. And I wasn't really sure what he worked on. Um, and he was like, I'm not hiring at the moment, um, but like, I'll read something of yours and give you notes. And mm -hmm. I was like, that's great. And I kind of knew with this one script that I had like an ace up my sleeve because it was doing pretty well. Mm -hmm. And I said it to him and he was like, listen, like, I don't have a job to offer you like on our staff, but you can be the writer's assistant. And he was like, why don't you come see? And I went there and like, you know, and he was like, you still have to interview and there's still other people up against you. And they were hiring two writers assistants at the time. And it was a great opportunity. And he was like, listen, like it was, it was hard. Cause he was like, it was from your script that you got this, but still I got the meeting because of who I knew, which is yeah. always like such a sore subject in this industry because it's like, it yeah, is. like it sucks, but was I going to take it? Hell yeah. I was going to take it. You know, it's going to, run as fast as I could towards that job. Um, and it was an amazing learning experience. Like it was, you know, mm -hmm. you can't beat being on a show that's been on the air for they're on their 20th season now. So yeah. like seeing how that works is a fascinating lesson that you just don't get anywhere else. Yeah. A well-oiled machine for sure. Yeah. 
And yeah. To me, you know, the whole nepotism thing, I think, well, like many things on Twitter, I think people shit on things disproportionately and uh, a little illogically at times. So, like, yeah, of course, you know, Maud Apatow uh, had to, you know, she had the connection with her dad yeah. to get into stuff. But if she's not a good actress, she's not getting those jobs. Those are high profile gigs. Um, I think that's the thing that people don't like to talk about as much with nepotism is you still have to have the goods. Like yeah. you a hundred percent do people aren't going to bomb their entire production to do a favor for their friend. Yeah. And I you have know? to, the other thing is like, I have to give it to my, my father is the best networker I've ever seen. Like really? been, I'm he lives in New York. I'm from New Jersey. I've been in Disney world with him and had people go like, John White and they just stop him. They're like, Hey, remember me? And he, he just, he sends out like hundreds of Christmas cards and he just makes networking a thing. And uh, it was funny because any industry his kids are in, he somehow knows somebody except yeah. for mine. And it, I think it equally drove him crazy that he couldn't figure out how to like, you know, connect <laughs> me to somebody because he's made a life out of his amazing ability to network. Um, yeah. It's part of his I personality. He takes pride in. Completely. And I also yeah. think it's one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned because this industry is completely networking. It's 100%. It's 100% networking and it's yeah. keeping in touch with people and reaching out and, you know, going to the lunches and just zooming with people. But it's, it is, and it's as much as people hate to think it is, it really is because mm -hmm. when you're stuck in a room with people, you want to be stuck in a room with people that you enjoy being stuck in a room with. Mm -hmm. yep. You know, and yeah. that just, it happens to be, you know, why it's so important to not network by saying like, hi, my name's Katie. Will you read this for me? Like that's not networking or like no. creating the the fake friendships where you're like, oh, well, like we don't actually connect. Like there's nothing wrong with being like, oh, we're just not like, I am not for everybody. I'm probably not for most people. And it's like, <laughs> I know, like, I know that about myself. Yeah. So it's like, I know that sometimes I'm like, oh, this fraud code does not feel me. And I get it. Like, so like, mm -hmm. I'll send them a thank you. And then we're just going to go on our own ways. Cause like there are other people who I'll connect with better and like build that. I'm just rambling. <laughs> no, 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 no. This is great stuff. And honestly, you know, get that out of your good. head now. I want you to ramble. Okay. That's good, what we need. I can do it really well. Yeah. Yeah. No. And yeah, <laughs> you're hundred percent right. I mean, honestly, your dad should probably get into the business because it sounds like he's a natural. It's been the joke since birth is like, why is he not in this? Yeah. But, yeah. but it's also like just such a great lesson to learn that, that that's something that's really important is just the connections. And, it, and it's also, it's like the little things of remembering, like he'll remember where your kid went to school and he'll be like, go whatever the school mascot is and things mm -hmm. like that. It's, yeah. it's just very interesting being able to have conversations with people is such a skill. Like I'm very thankful that in college they forced us to take public speaking because mm -hmm. as writers, it's yeah. really easy to be quiet <laughs> or 100%. to be awkward. And, um, yeah. and my thing is like, I just tend to announce that I'm awkward, which makes it, it's so much better for everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Me too. Like, I love to yeah. scream my insecurity into the room as I right? enter so that no yeah. one can hurt me. Yes. Um, but like, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah. Having the gift of gab is a great thing. And that, you know, the networking thing, it's something that, you know, I could work on for sure. But the gift of being able to make people feel special, like you yes. remember these details yeah. that, you know, and things like that. And it's just, yeah, yeah it's 
anytime someone does something that like that brings up an obscure thing that you mentioned one time, you're like, man, they really listen and they really like me. And, you know, and yeah, and it's good. And yeah, it's, and yeah. I'm not saying this, that you should go manipulate people with this psychology, well, no. but it's just a beautiful thing when people are like that. What's interesting is I actually asked, I'm trying to think who I was talking to like years ago. And I said something like, well, aren't you just like, isn't that manipulation? Mm-hmm. And they looked at me and they were like, no, no, I dug their story. And they were mm-hmm. like, it was another writer. I'm trying to think who said it, but they were like, oh no, I just like stories. They were like, mm-hmm. and everybody has a story. So like, I might not listen to them because I'm trying to get something from them. I'm listening because they entertained me. Like I was interested mm-hmm. in what they had to say and mm-hmm. I remembered it. So it's like, I struggle and I work on it with being like an active listener because yeah. I have ADD and I'm all these things. So my head's always going like, what am I going to respond to the next thing this person says? Same. Or like it wants to interject and it wants to spit shit out. And I really mm-hmm. actively as a 40 year old work on going like, shut up and watch this person talk to you. Like you're watching a TV show, like yes. shut it down and listen because it's just so important to be that active listener. And yeah. I think it also helps like once you get into the notes taking stage, because somebody gives you a note on something and your head immediately goes like, my head always goes, screw you, you're wrong. And then instantly mm-hmm. goes, wait, are they right? Wait, and while my head's doing this, they're on their third note. And I'm still going like, well, am I a hack? Because I fucked up and they didn't like that first thing. And it's like, oh shit, they're still talking to me. So I really <laughs> work on being like, an active, like I always say, it's like my anti-lunatic where I'm like, I'm being an active listener and like not plan for the apocalypse in my brain because you gave me a note on something and like stop the conversation on my end. I'm just going to continue to listen to you and like actively participate. Yeah. I relate to that so much. I have the same crazy anxiety brain and, um, yeah. Yeah. And, and like my brain goes in self-defense mode in that way. Like you, like, cause I'm thinking like when I get a note that I don't necessarily agree with my brain just starts going, Oh, well I need to explain to them why I did that. And they obviously yeah. didn't get that above. And it's, it, it's not about that, but you know what the good thing is, like you said, you know, being 40 and dealing with this now, it's like, at least, you know, even if it comes, you know, at any point in your life, no one in their twenties is that self-aware, but self-awareness <laughs> is a, is a good thing to learn. Oh, actually I've met, yeah. I, I had the unique experience of going to film school when I was 28 is when I transferred, oh, yeah. oh no, 29. And, um, so I was there with a lot of 20 year olds and stuff. And my biggest takeaway was, yeah, a lot of these people are 20 and they act like they're 20, but so many of them are so much more mature than I was at 20. It is shocking. Yeah. Uh, I, I yeah. couldn't even handle being in college when I was 20. Yeah. So <laughs> it was it was a really unique experience. So I do take that back. There are some caveats to you know, oh, yeah. people being self-aware, but like, yeah, I'm someone who that journey is never ending. I'm always just trying to be like, I, I get in my head very much about yeah. how I'm uh, being perceived or yes. how I just need to yeah get out of my head. Well, I'm, I'm also, I'm my worst, I'm my own worst enemy. So mm-hmm. when my joke is whenever anybody gives me a note, my fir- the first thing that happens in my head is my head says, fuck you. And it's uh. not even saying it to them. It's like, like half the time it's like, they'll bring up, cause my, the worst notes, which are also the best are the ones where somebody goes, Hey, in this point you could like, what about this? And it's so obvious the second they say it, that you're mm-hmm. like, wait, why didn't I, why didn't I see that the first time? And instead of going like, oh, thank you for pointing that out in my head, I'm, my head is already on a journey. Like my yeah. mind is like, you <laughs> idiot. Like why yeah. did you get that? And then, and then it's like, do they think that you're stupid? Cause you didn't. And the next thing I know, I'm like, well, there goes an hour of my life. 
Yeah. And it's just a fascinating journey of like punishing myself. So what I do now is I go like immediately still do fuck you. And then I stop and I go, what's the note they just said? And then I go, all right, cool, cool. And then usually it's nine times out of 10. I go like, I can figure out a way to take that note and make it work. Or it's, I, or it's like, Hey, I just disagree with that note, but everybody has their own opinion. Like, yeah, I had to stop it. Like it was so personal for a while and it wasn't personal. Like, Oh, they don't like me. It was like, Oh, I don't like me. It was like, Oh, <laughs> exactly. Oh, this is why I'm not getting hired. Cause of this one note, it was like a spiral. Yeah. Yeah. No, just a trip. Totally get it. I think, you know, I think a lot of us, I would argue that a lot of us more than half deal with that same exact thing. Like we're all just out of our minds and it's such a vulnerable thing to be a writer and put your writing out there. It's burying your soul out there on a page. And when people tell you it sucks, yeah, it doesn't feel good. Even though no one is saying it sucks. I'm saying that. Yeah. No one is saying it sucks. They're just saying like, Hey, you could probably do this and this would be more effective just because of like the tools and the rules of storytelling. Like you could use this to your, and I'm like, in my head, I'm like, Oh, you think that part sucks? Yeah. I always always compare it to like, there's like old school stories that are I'm sure true um, of like the sororities where it was like, Oh, you have to like, they'd circle your fat type thing. Like they would Mm. circle like, your imperfections. And mm-hmm. I always thought like I give somebody a script and I might as well be in the center of Times Square, but naked mm-hmm. at my worst, like yeah. on a day where I'm just not feeling great about myself. And, yeah. and everybody has a Sharpie trying to point out what they don't appre- like, like about it. And I'm like, that's how I feel. And it could be people that I trust and that know me so well. And I, I realize that that's just how my head goes about it because you've created a world and you've created characters and like, it's something that you've lived in. And now you're going like, Hey, do you like this? <laughs> it's like, And I, it's a shame too, Brutal. because it's little kids. I was a nanny forever. And as little kids, like they don't care if you like it. And I, I'll yeah. watch little kids play and they'll be like, here's how we're playing today. Like I'm a King and this is my castle. And the other one's like, cool. I'm a baker. And I'm, and they're like, sweet, you do your thing. I'm going to do mine. And you're mm-hmm. like, Oh shit. Like there's no insecurity of like, I hate your idea. Cause they're like, cool. That's your thing. I'm going to be in my fantasy world over here. I'm like, yeah. when did we lose that? Cause I, I need like, I feel like we'd be so much healthier if we were just like, cool. Like this is who I am. This is what I'm giving you. And like, hope you enjoy. If not, okay. Like we'll figure it out. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Yeah. That's, that's a really good way of looking at it too. Like, I think that's why I like coming of age stuff so much, you know, but um, we all used to be so pure. But, oh yeah. Okay. So with speaking of uh, childhood, we don't have to go that far back, but I will <laughs> ask you, how'd you get into screenwriting? When did this all begin? Um, I wrote, I know I wrote, like I was writing stories, um, like extremely long stories with tons of shit in them in like middle school. Um, mm-hmm. and I know I wrote a script in high school, but I am, um, severely dyslexic and have very intense ADD and all kinds of uh, brain issues. And my mother is a doctor of education. Mm -hmm. And when I was a kid, she realized it pretty fast. And she really fought, like she she fought to have kids. She was part of this like task group that like made um, this thing called a 504 plan up and down the East Coast where kids with like learning disabilities could have like something read to them or untimed testing or like I couldn't use a Scantron and nobody should have to use a Scantron. But as a dyslexic person, that was like three dots to me. Like I couldn't, so I wouldn't fill it out. And they'd be like, she's, she doesn't want to take a test. My mom's like, she can't, like she can't do it. 
But yeah. she really fought for the fact that like I would fail every English class and they'd be like, well, she she didn't use a single punctuation. My mom's like, she doesn't see them. And they're mm-hmm. like, and she didn't spell anything correctly. And my mom would always be like, was the story good? And they were like, yeah, it really was. And she'd be like, that was the point was to write a story. Mm-hmm. And she fought like crazy for me, which was amazing. Mm-hmm. And like, it really was that and computers coming out with that little red line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That little red line saved me because yeah, without it, I don't see the mistakes. And I, and, and I would be so hard on myself that finally my mom had to say like, Hey, you're a writer. You're not an editor. She was like, that's, she's like, so you will pay someone to do that for the rest of your life. Basically. Yeah. <laughs> and right. she, yeah. She was an editor of newspapers for years. So for years she was my editor. And, oh, then, nice. we, and then we hit a point where like, she was too involved in just like liking my writing as a mother that mm. I'd be like, oh, wait. and she'd be like, Oh, I love this scene. I was like, are there spelling mistakes? She's like, Oh, I wasn't looking for those. I'm like, go back. <laughs> like, we got to yeah. get back on track here. Yeah. But like, it was, I really owe so much of this career to her being like, listen, like everybody's telling you, you can't do this. And as a kid, when you're failing everything, it's really hard to be like, well, I failed every aspect of English classes and then go, but I'm going to do this. Like it was so like, I'm very thankful that, I had her pushing me forward because it wasn't until I got into the WGA and somebody was like, Oh, you should, you're in the disability group in WGA. And I was like, what? And they were like, don't you realize that like you struggle to read and that is your writer. And I was like, Oh, I guess like I didn't put it, it never affected me like that. Cause my mom was always like, no, it's just who you are and keep pushing and don't let anybody tell you you can't. Yeah. That's interesting. That's super interesting. Yeah. And it makes sense too, why your mom would notice like the minute that your short film is offline, she's like, why is it? Cause she's oh, yeah. been your biggest supporter the whole time. Oh, yeah. yeah no, that's so sweet. Joke. We had some deal with this company where we, I mean, for like every thousand views, it, we would get like eight cents or something. It was like that <laughs> ridiculous. Of course. And the joke was like, well, with my mom watching it, we're going to be billionaires. We were like, that woman's going to watch this thing on repeat, you know? Yeah. She's, she's that kind of supportive mom where like yeah. she's front row with like the signs and stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's so great. Um, yeah, that's a really interesting story and you're right. I mean, writing is about being the creative. It's not about being the best at grammar or punctuation and all these things. Uh, and also as someone who isn't dyslexic, uh, the red squiggly line saves my life too in any, any word processor. Uh, it's weird how you don't see stuff. It's so odd. And then sometimes I get notes about grammar stuff that, or punctuation stuff that even the word processor didn't pick up. And I'm like, Oh shit, technically they're right. But like my brain just does not see certain things. And it's weird. Um, cause as far as I know, I don't have, I would know if I had dyslexia, but like, you know, as far as I know, I don't have any, um, disability in that sense, besides just like lack of attention to detail (laughs) sometimes, you know? But also it's so funny to look at it. Like when you're writing, like you don't want to be in those details. You want to be in the details of the story and the characters. And like, it always breaks my heart. Even um, I know I have some writer friends that will get stuck on like a a certain spot of a script and they're stuck on like a a few sentences. And in Mm -hmm. my head, I'm like, fucking skip it. I'm like, Mm -hmm. but like their minds don't work that way. So they're like, no, I'm going to stick with these sentences. And I'm like, skip it and come back on the next, on another day. Because like, it's just, I don't know. It's like mental torture if you just like can get stuck on these little things. So when I'm writing, I'm like, I don't care if there's a single comma in this whole thing. 
as long as I'm getting the story out. And then, you know, the computer will tell me most of them. And then somebody else that I pay or a friend will be like, Hey, I put all the commas in for you. (laughs) Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. It's interesting too, how we're all so different and it's totally fine because at the end of the day, there's no one way to get a script done. It's so fascinating to me. And that's one of the reasons I started this podcast is just like, there's a lot of questions, which you'll find out that are just about process. And how do you, how do you attack this stuff? And I don't think I've met anyone yet. You're number 20, I think a nice, even number. (laughs) And, um, and I think that I don't, I haven't met anyone who had exactly my style and that could be a testament to how weird I am or, um, but like, you know, it it just fascinates me that we're all chasing the same thing and we all get to the same end product, but there's infinite ways to do it. I think that's what makes it one of the hardest industries. It's not like you're doing, like if you work for a clothing store and you're trying to make a certain amount of money in sales, like there is ways to do that. You know, there's Mm -hmm. there's logical steps. Whereas like, if you're a writer, like I know people that are like, well, I can only write at midnight. It's like, well, cool. Because if you only sell clothing at midnight, you're probably not going to make that money. And it's like, you know, and there's just these fascinating little things of like, if you are a accountant doing some of these taxes, there are logical steps that you take to get there. And in this industry, there's no logic behind it. Yeah. yeah. Like there's no, <laughs> That's going to be the snippet that I cut out for you. In this industry, <laughs> there is no logic behind it. Uh, I mean, it's, I don't think anyone would disagree with that. Uh, so um, are you currently repped? Um, I am. Yeah. I figured you're in the WGA yeah. and all. So where are you repped at? Um, my management is through Haven and then I'm with, um, KMR for, uh, with Jack Heinrich for my agent, which is awesome. awesome. Yeah. Sweet. Cool. Uh, I don't know anything about Haven, but, um, I'm going to research it now. It's weird. Like everyone has a management company that I'm not privy to and I need to look into unless it's like the big ones, but yeah. that's been a fascinating thing for me though. Whenever I first started getting a couple meetings with management companies being like, uh, Oh, this person wants to meet with me. I've never heard of that company ever. And then looking up, looking them up and yeah. seeing that they rep some notable people. And I'm like, Oh, this is like a whole new fucking world that I have yeah. to learn now. Well, I'm on my, this is my third manager, my first agent. And I think what I learned was like how little the, the name mattered, which was weird because like in your head, you want to be with these certain name companies. And um, when I was querying for my last time and I've been with a, with a bigger company and just wasn't getting very much attention and Mm -hmm. also just kind of hip pocketed into like, oh, she works for NCIS this is her brand. That's what she's going to yeah, be. And yeah. like one day they'll staff her. So we don't have to worry about doing anything else for her. And that obviously ended for good reasons. Mm-hmm. And then when I was looking for a new manager, I it was during the height of COVID and I was sending out these queries and I had a, my set, it was my second time having a film that did really well in the nickel. I mean, mm-hmm. a film, a script that did really well in the nickel. Uh-huh. Um, and so I was querying people and people had a lot of time on their hands because of COVID So I was getting like a lot of responses back, which was great. And I took a, you know, people were reading me and I took a couple meetings that were like, you know, your writing is great. We see this, this, and this for you. And I would leave these meetings feeling high as fuck. And I was like, Mm -hmm. this is great. And then I met with Brendan, my manager, and he was like, your writing is really solid. It's really good. And he was like, here's what we can do to elevate it and make it the best it can be. And my first thought was like, wait a second, like these other people are telling me that I'm great. And that like, (laughs) 
they it's ready to go. And he was like, together we can elevate this and we can really figure out where your career should go and like mm-hmm. how we make this into a launch pad for you. And I was like, oh shit, like that's what I don't need the person blowing smoke up my ass yes. who's like, who's like this one project, we can get that out and go. Yeah. He looked at like a wealth of things I'd written and he was like, this one I think is your strongest, this one we can work on this. And then he, I mean, the amount of notes that he gave and his assistant gave and everybody was so hands-on to help me and not to make it something I didn't recognize, but to take what I had and to elevate it to what I hoped it was. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh shit. So like, it was just a fascinating experience of going like, oh, you're not just here to be like, oh, cool. We can get you on this. Let's go. We'll get 10%. And at this point, it's like, I probably have to just write him a check one day because I'm like, I have not, I haven't staffed yet. So like, I'm like, I haven't gotten to that point. And he's like, that's not the point. We're going to get there. He's like, we're just at the moment doing, doing it our way. And I'm so appreciative of like being in a company where it's more the, the, they're looking at the long game. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a really awesome thing, you know? That's very yeah. similar with my manager. I got my first manager this year in January. Congratulations. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah. I haven't sold anything ever, but yeah. um, yeah, they're helping me. I'm getting cool meetings and stuff. And like, yeah, yeah they kind of said the same thing. You know, it's like, it's going to be a project, you know, yeah. and, and kind of the same experience of just like getting good notes and like them kind of seeing the vision. I, I didn't even think about that until you said it. That's really interesting of once you take a job on a show like NCIS, it's yeah, I could see getting pigeonholed into that kind of being that kind of episodic writer um, on uh, what are those called? Uh, procedural. Procedural. Yes. Yeah. Also, like it's a network show that does 20 some episodes a season. Mm-hmm. It's if anybody out there ever gets offered one of those jobs, I know a lot of people that were like, it's not my style. And I was like, hey, it's truly not my style either. It was an amazing learning experience, but also it paid me more money. And I was like, what's, and it was just the difference of, you know, friends that I have on streamers who don't get the residuals. It's just the residuals. Mm -hmm. So it was like in July, I was like, okay, we're going into the fifth season. They're still not staffing me. They're kind of tossing me an episode here and there. And I was like, but have I, I was like, at this point, I think I've gotten everything that I can from this position. I was like, and do I leave? Like my 40th birthday was coming up and it was really looming. I let that number really fuck with my head. And I was like, do I stay the writer's assistant in this set job that I've done for four years now that I, you know, can do with ease at this point mm-hmm. and, and hope that one day there is movement here or do I just go do my own thing? And because yeah. of the residuals, I was able to say like, listen, like this has been a great experience. I need to step back and I need to go and like, fight my battle to like be the, you know, be in the genres that I feel I do best and to really get out there. And so like, it was funny because I've had people who kind of go like, Oh, like a procedural. I'm like, listen, if you can get a procedural on a network down. I mean, talk about job security for the time being at least and financial security. And especially if you're someone with like a family and stuff and it's like, that's a pretty comfortable spot. It's comfortable, but it's also one of the best aspects of being there and like learning from it was it is a wildly hard thing to write. And I never thought of it that way. And they were like, they're like, listen, you've got basically five or six main people that have to be in 99% of it. Uh You've got to have heart, a crime, 
some twist, then usually another twist. And then you also have to make it like NCIS's brand. There's a lot of humor. Yeah. And like, well, it's a little like it hits their demographic. So it's like a little on the cornier side sometimes. Sure. But that, but that humor, like trying to have a murder mystery where you keep the humor, but it's also yeah. heartfelt and it also hits a certain demographic. And it's yeah. also able to play at like eight or nine o'clock because I will never forget writing a scene. And this writer that I love, this guy, David North goes, you did a great job. This is great. He goes, it'd be great if it was on HBO. He goes, you're writing for CBS. You're writing yeah. for CBS. And I was like, oh, like, so it's, it's all of these factors at once. And also they plow through 20 some episodes in a season while they're on set. Like that was the other thing is it's a blessing to have a show that still has the writers on set and that you have yeah. that experience of producing your own episodes. Like mm-hmm. I will, I will always have the moment I sat next to like Mark Harmon, who was reading words that I wrote and learning from him and just it's an experience I'll never, you know, I got an amazing amount of education from that place. Um, and yeah. hopefully can go forward and take that with me somewhere else. Yeah. Um, but also it paid really well. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's that an experience. Like, yeah. You, uh, you do the starving artist thing for long enough and then you get a paycheck where you go like, Oh shit. Okay. Like I can not panic every month. Like, yeah. 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 That's what I'm looking forward to right now. Right. And yeah, I saw a writer on Twitter the other day um, who I don't know if I'm going to say names, but like uh, a writer who posted a tweet that got kind of big. That was like her first residual check for her network show was like like over 10 grand. Like it was a nice, nice check. And then her first residual check for a streamer that she wrote for was like eight cents. Yeah. Or something. It was like something ridiculous. And hopefully, you know, I know that it's a huge issue right now mm-hmm. and I'm ho- hopefully the WGA is that's, you know, something to talk that, about it. Yeah. Yeah. Because there was it, a lot of pro writers on there with uh, verified checks, all sharing that tweet and being yeah, like, this is something we need to talk about. So yeah. yeah uh, hopefully yeah. they go in there and do that before I even right. get a card. If I ever get a yeah. card, but like right. uh, handle that fight for me. But anyway, but, yeah. But the, other, yeah. the only other thing I'll say though, is that, which I did not know. And I wish somebody had told me mm-hmm. is that um I was always like a, I'll just do my taxes on TurboTax type person. Mm-hmm. So I was like, mm-hmm. I don't understand. Even. And here's the worst part. I actually have a friend who'd be like, you're an idiot about this. Give me your shit. And she would just do it for me because mm-hmm. my friends, I have a very great group of friends who know that there are some things I'm just really bad at. And uh-huh. then like, it's one of them. Yeah. And then when I got my first episode, nobody told me I should incorporate. Mm-hmm. Nobody told me I should make like a, and I'm not even going to use the correct wording because I still don't get it, but like an LLC or an L or an S corp. Sure. Nobody, sure. I was unaware of that. And then yeah. I kept hearing this large amount of money that I would be getting paid. And when my check showed up, I was like, Hey, where, where did it all go? And they were like, Oh, well you didn't do that. So you, I think I gave the government like 40, 40, some like high 40 some percent. And I was like, mm. uh, so I was like, Oh, tax time. I'm going to get that all back. And then I, got none I owed. And I was like, what is happening? They're like, well, you're in a new tax bracket. So all I'm saying is if you are a writer in that moment that you get staffed, just hire somebody like hire an accountant and be like, I just, I got staffed. And one day I had the potential of selling an episode of getting an episode and getting this because it's a lump sum. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. like, lump sums are weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
It's a lot of money and, to be receiving at once too. Yeah. And like, yeah. I don't understand money, taxes yeah. or numbers. I'm so all bad I, at money. All I know is I want a lot of it back and I can't get it back. And everybody's <laughs> like, if you had an S corp, you could have. And I'm like, okay. So I, every, and I've had people, I've told people that advice and they've gone like, well, how do I do it? And I'm like, oh, I still don't have, I still don't know. I'm just telling you, don't be as dumb as I am. Yeah. And like protect yourself in that way. Because like, like I have a friend, Samantha Leventius, who's, a brilliant writer mm-hmm. and just got staffed and like within 24 hours she's also just like brilliant at life and within 24 yeah. hours she had like a, her production company set her company set up so that she could pay have it paid through there and i was like please just be my parent because i yeah. can't yeah <laughs> no shit congrats to her on getting uh staffed right? as well yeah yeah Katie, you know with all that said too especially about like writing for a procedural and i didn't even think about that it is harder. It, it, it's harder in a sense to write jokes and humor that are broad appealing uh, to everyone yeah. and accessible to everyone. Cause it's easy to write very, very specific to what you think is funny. Yeah. Um, and like, I try to write jokes and shit. I come from doing like sketch comedy and stuff. And I take a lot of pride in trying to craft jokes, but sometimes it's like, you know, I cuss like a sailor and, you know, I have like, yeah. uh, I think like bordering the line of offensive without crossing the line is always interesting and funny, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, to write for a broad appeal, you know, for yeah. a quadrant kind of show on CBS, it's like, yeah, that's a whole nother style of comedy writing. It really is. And some of the writers that have been there forever, it's wild to watch them break an episode because you're mm-hmm. like, they're like, oh, well, of course, this moment has to be here. This moment has to be here. This moment has to be, and I'm going like, wait, wait, slow. Like how, why? And they're mm-hmm. like, it does. That's, and it's very, it's very formulaic, but it's also very much like, like there's something very instinctual about it that some people just get when it's like, there's a writer, Scott Williams, who's done everything from like bones to like all of these types of shows. And he gets Big network how, shows. Yeah. And, and you know, like, he gets how you do a crime and keep the characters and keep the heart and how like I would get so caught up on like, I mean, I just remember spending a, like a full week researching some aspect of like how you would murder somebody with something like, could mm-hmm. this legitimately happen? And yeah. have somebody go like, Hey, that's the, not the important part of this. Mm-hmm. Like, somebody dies on the show every week. Like the important mm-hmm. part isn't like the specific to the, poison that this person ingested mm-hmm. and like there i am going down like i'm calling like a coroner and i'm on like i'm like you know going through all this stuff and they're like hey katie we're gonna say like use the and we're gonna use a very fancy term and we're gonna get back to the fact that like these are our characters this yeah. is who our audience cares about and what yeah. who's connected to this crime and why and like that the like the intermingling of that is what matters whereas i was like so stuck on these specifics yeah. of like weapon and they were like okay but what are our characters doing and i was like oh shit okay because it is you're writing like a murder mystery and a soft comedy and a heartfelt show about a work environment and you're doing it all at once and all in an hour and you're and all with like every character has to have lines and be a part of it and you're like what the fuck yeah Yeah. that is a uh, a great balancing act for sure and i I can see how watching the people who've been doing it for years would be like that's crazy that you're this good at this Um, it was was just like such a great uh learning experience though was like to see how they kind of pull that together and to take 
I was always like, if I can take like 10% of that with me, I'm good. Like that's, yeah. you know, cause it was just so impressive. Totally. Okay. So moving forward, yes. how would you, because of that, having written on a procedural, but then kind of left because you want to chase what, you know, is more of a calling to you genre wise, wow. um, or even format wise, uh, how would you describe your brand at this point in time? Um, I think it's just very character driven. Um, mm -hmm. I like any kind of awkward subject or uh, like the, one of the pilots that we're trying to get out there is um, based on a time in my twenties when I was, I got roped into a pyramid scheme selling sex toys. So like, no I, way. That's yeah. great. That's such a <laughs> yeah. great premise. Right. So we have a pilot yeah. called for her pleasure. That's based on that. It's, you know, but like, that's like, I've lived a very bizarre kind of route in life. And uh -huh. I like to pull from the weird odd, like I've always had some aspect of an odd job. I, mm -hmm. you know, I was, mm -hmm one of the managers at the hustler store. And on the weekends I was babysitting for like celebrities and then babysitting for people in like tougher situations who just literally had to go to work. So I was, so it was like, I kind of mm -hmm. have done a span of like all different human things. I was an assistant to everybody that you could ever be an assistant for. I've worked yeah. at law firms, you know? So I feel like I really like, I like any type of small human experience that you can realize is so really connects that through line. Like when everybody was watching the bear, it made mm -hmm. me so happy because everybody felt the intensity. And if you, people that worked in restaurants, which yeah. I used to like all felt like a nauseous feeling of like, Oh, like this is so real. And then yeah. people who never had understood the family dynamic. And it's like, you took a small restaurant and a small moment in somebody's life and you made it so universal by making it so specific, you know, they were yeah. like, and like, that's a really beautiful thing that I think, I don't know if I always pull off, but I know I always try to do. <laughs> yeah. I love yeah. that so much. And I think that's the best kind of writer is someone who has done so many things, so many different, weird, obscure things, and they have an experience with it. Uh, so getting into the writing part of it, since everyone's routine is unique, can you kind of describe your regular writing routine? Like, what's it like when you write? You said you wrote this morning. I uh, did. Um, yeah. So my routine's really stupid though. Okay. That's um, good. We want to hear I, about it so we can berate you online. <laughs> um, so I realized when I was much, much younger that I need, I need the television on. I have to watch television while I'm writing, Okay. Um, but it can't be anything that I, that's like new or I'll watch the show instead of writing. So I need something on that I've seen before. Interesting. So, so back I'm talking like when you had to buy like DVD sets of things, cause there was no other way to watch it. Mm -hmm. um, and I believe like back to even VHS sets, like I realized that I could write watching friends. Uh -huh. Um, so I have written two friends for probably over 20 years now, every single day. Okay. So just being Ross, straight I up whenever you Ross and Rachel get break up thousands of times. I have seen those two fall apart. And it's usually, I won't lie. It's the first I can write best to the first three seasons. I don't know why, but everybody knows like my agent has called and heard the theme song and gone like, Oh, you're writing. I'll let you go. It's like, people know that that theme song means that I'm working. That. Okay. So when you opened up and said, mine is really stupid. I didn't know what you meant. 
and i love you katie but like that's hilarious that is truly super funny but also at the same time that is so funny for one that's hilarious and unique and like I don't know, like wholesome in a way like that's that's hilarious that that that's how you get work done but it's wild though like i wrote I like love I, it. my my last script that did well in the nickel in like 2019 i guess was like mm-hmm. very heavily very it was a full drama and mm-hmm. very sad and very dark mm-hmm. and about schizophrenia and people were like well what'd you watch while you're writing this and i was like friends yeah. I was like, this, it doesn't change what I'm, it's not like, oh, that's my comedy show. It's like, that's like, I legitimately, yeah. when I sell something, I will have to send, like, I will have to send Lisa Kudrow flowers and be like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I feel like they have gotten me through. And I don't know if it's like a Pavlov's dog thing or something where now uh-huh. the theme song goes on and it's like, my mind goes, you're working, like stop fucking around work. So that's it's very cool. Weird. And it plays every 22 minutes too, if they just keep starting. So that's like a good jolt to be like, oh yeah, you're working. And your leads are always named Chandler or Phoebe (laughs) or Monica. Right? (laughs) Yeah, totally. A friend of mine did the math of like, cause during COVID I was like, okay, well I can just write all day now. And I was like, I'm, and they play it on television all day mm-hmm. and he wants, he did the math and he's like i just want to figure out how many episodes you've seen in a year and i forget what he came up with but he was like i might be sick. i was like no it's disgusting i was like it's alarming because mm-hmm. it's just, i mean it's it's on right now is it oh my god that's so <laughs> funny okay she's showing me the tv everyone yes and it is indeed on uh yeah, lisa kudrow just answered the door because I was writing before we started this. So it was awesome. <laughs> That's amazing. So sound, yeah, the sound is on, obviously, for, no, well, I, not I right now, but. Mute. I have it on mute, you know. I'm, yeah, I'm, that's so very it's polite of you, it's yeah. It's on when I'm writing. Yeah, I have the sound on when I'm writing, and there's, yeah. it's just like this, I don't know if it started as a comfort zone, but then it became like a Pavlov's dog thing where my mind goes, you're working, and this is like your time to like cut the shit and just write, like, just write, Yeah. So interesting. I love that. I truly do love it. Because I love um, people go like, oh, I'm, I have such a weird routine. Like I have to sit in this one. And I'm like, no, I'm like, listen, I have a really <laughs> weird routine. No, you like, just I, took the crown on this <laughs> podcast, at least for weird routines. I will say the one thing I did learn while on NCIS was I had to learn how to be able to work in a room where I didn't have friends on. Although in my office, oh. I would just put it on my computer. Mm-hmm. And no, nobody cared, but I did have to learn that. And I had to learn, like, I know a lot of people who have to be in a coffee shop or who have to be here or who have to be there. Mm-hmm. And like one of the best things working in on a television show taught me was like, no, you don't have a choice sometimes. And mm. you just have to cut the artistic bullshit of yourself that, cause we give each, we, we tend to give ourselves a lot of freedoms where it's like, oh, I'm not in the right mindset, which yeah. I totally get. Yeah. But when you're on a deadline and there's an actual studio that's waiting for it and like, when like once NCIS gets shooting, they're like every eight days is a new episode. So like when they're prepping the next one, they're shooting one and they're editing the, the last one. And it's like, you don't have time to go, well, you guys, like my head was in the right space. So I'm going to take a few days off and like get mm-hmm. it. No, like you, this is your job. Yeah. Show and up, it could cost it. you your job being that kind of writer. Cause it's like, okay, but that's not what we need. We need yeah. writers who are here. They can force themselves through it and still give us the goods. Um, yeah. I so think like, that's I the just, different. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, like, I just like learned how to play the pilot in my head. And in my mm-hmm. head, it starts that theme song. And I go like, all right, back to work. <laughs> that's fucking awesome. I love that. And like, 
Um, and yeah, that's the difference. I think like when you think about, you know, newer writers, um, even people who've done some cool stuff, like the difference between, do you have the potential to go pro or not is like, you know, you don't have to necessarily wait for the muse to come around. Like you can sit there and get your brain going and think about, you know, and and it's, it's a muscle. You just got to keep working it. It really is. And it's fascinating too, because I really, and I understand it and I, I understand it to a degree. And then there's a degree Mm -hmm. where I feel like people are more of an artist in their mind than actually producing art. And like, I'm sure that sounds harsh, but like when you, let's say you're querying somebody and you have one great project Mm -hmm. and it's fucking fantastic and it's great. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. And they can do something with that. Mm -hmm. But if that project took you five years to write Mm -hmm. and to get to this point, you can probably find somebody who if they can make enough money selling this is okay with the fact that it's going to take another five years for you to produce something else. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's just the world changes. Our taste changed too quickly. Like you have to, it's just, I, people will perfect things and perfect things and perfect things before they even let a friend see it and give them notes or something. And I'm more of a, like I will write something and of course, like I don't, I will rewrite it for myself and things of that nature. But then I'm like, okay, I'm in my head. It needs eyes on it. I need a couple of mm-hmm. friends that are going to give me detailed notes. And my deal with my friends is always like rip it to shit. Mm-hmm. I would rather my best friend in the world rip every sentence apart. And even if she's like, I'm just being as hard as I can possibly be with this because a, it's only going to make it better. Mm-hmm. And B, then if I hear it from somebody else, I already know my response. I already know why I chose to go with this. Like I've already thought it through. Mm-hmm. People will allow themselves such freedom to be like, well, I was in the mindset for, you know, this day or for that. And it's like, I get that. But if you want it to be a career, you like, when you have a day job, that's something you're not interested in. The amount of times you show up when it's not, when you're not in the right mindset is sadly often because it's yeah. what's and yeah. you have to start treating writing like that. Otherwise you're never going to finish anything and you're never going to be able to have an actual career of longevity yeah. because it's just not a lot of freedom. So I tell anybody, I'm like, give yourself, like, I always give myself deadlines, even if it's mm. like, nobody's really waiting for it. I give myself deadlines because otherwise I feel like, like you said, it's a muscle and it's like getting back to working on a deadline. Once you lose them is a really hard thing to do. So yeah. like, I like to myself going on deadlines that way I'm a, that way I'm always producing that mm-hmm. way I'm always getting something done and something moving. Um, and mm-hmm. also that way I don't fall off being able to do that. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just, you know, it's just very easy to, to fall off being able to produce something at a specific time. And like, you almost have to te- you almost have to treat it like you are a chef in the kitchen where like somebody's waiting for that meal. So like yeah. you want it to be perfect, but you also need to get it out there. You know, you also need to do it. So like mm-hmm. weird analogy. We were on the bear. It just happened. Yeah, no, no, no. It made sense. Yeah, for sure. You gotta give them just that perfect uh that medium, you know, right? medium rare uh every time and you gotta do it in a timely manner. Yeah. No, um for sure. Uh I, I totally agree with everything that you said. It, it's And the thing is, it doesn't happen overnight. You know, I know that a lot of newer writers listen to the podcast, not like a ton of people listen to this podcast. Thank you to anyone listening. (laughs) But, um, but like, yeah, a good amount. And, uh, yeah, that's kind of something that I always 
try to stress too is because sometimes I bring people on who like you are in the WGA, you've written on a very, very famous TV show. Um, it's like just to stress too, like all of this information that we have is from years and years and years of failing and failing and failing and failing and failing yeah. and failing and learning and learning and learning. And like, you know, like you said, with the notes process, like you learn pretty quickly, like, Oh fuck, I can't have an ego in this yeah. job. Yep. Like you just can't, you have to drop that pretty early yeah. uh, in order to make your work better and also, accept that. Like, yeah, you're, you, you might be a good writer, but you will never have all the right answers for your script. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And also I think I was, I went to the New York Film Academy in Manhattan before it was like an accredited school when it was just mm -hmm. kind of like chaos and equipment, which I loved. I'm very yeah. thankful for that. But I, I had a teacher there who had, and I believe his short film, like student film had won Sundance or something to that nature, something of that size. Mm -hmm. um, and his great lesson to us was like, he was out flown out to Hollywood and he had all these meetings and he's got like, the 10 students in the classroom hanging on his every word because mm -hmm. we're all like, this is amazing. And he's like, but I didn't have anything else. And he was like, and they were like, okay, well come back to us when, when you do, he's like, but and they don't mean that in Hollywood. Like they, they mm -hmm. mean it as long as it's like, come back to us next week when you have something, they don't mm -hmm. want you to come back a year later because at that point you're not that person anymore. Now there's somebody else. That's that person. Mm -hmm. that's that person. And he was basically like, and now I'm teaching you guys. And it was the biggest punch in the gut of being like, Oh shit. Like you are teaching a bunch of people who are not even at, like we're a bunch of people who could not get into NYU. <laughs> like we were yeah. Like, went to the New York film Academy when it was not a school. It was just, I mean, it was an amazing experience and I'll never ever replace it with anything else. But like we were people who were just, there were a couple of people having like midlife crises. There, uh -huh. were, <laughs> uh, there were like young kids whose parents sent them there. And it was like just a hodgepodge of kind of like creative crap. We were all yeah. creative people that didn't know what to do with it. And we were not about to go to a real college for it. Yeah. And he was teaching us and I was like, Oh, your dreams must be destroyed. Oh my God. Was it a short film you said? I believe it was. Yeah. Was it, was it, uh, I don't know if I would ever hit the nail on the head, but was it a sci-fi short film about like an, a Russian astronaut? I, I don't, I believe it had bacon in the title, but I oh, believe okay. it was I believe it was sci-fi or like on the horror side of things or like okay. different short. Yeah. yeah. I, I heard a podcast once about someone who now probably 10 years ago, um, the podcast was a few years ago, but in the story he told, it was six or seven years back. Anyway, he, uh, his short film, he did a short film that cost $70,000. Yeah. He raised 70 grand to make a short film and it was very good. I saw it and it was very cool. But, um, he told the story how it got him meetings with Amblin and, you know, he was at, Paramount and he was at uh, like M night Shyamalan's company and bad robot and all these fucking yeah. huge, huge players. And they all ask the same question. You know, what else do you have? Is there a feature version of this? Um, yeah. Do you have other scripts, other ideas? And he was like, well, no, you know, I have this though. And we could make a feature of that or, you know, I could come up with some ideas and that wasn't yeah. a good enough answer. And then six or seven years later, when he was on this podcast, he was like, I'm at square one still. Yeah. Uh, that's how brutal it can be if you're not ready for your shot. Yeah. If you think about it, when you're going into these places and when you're meeting with managers and agents and production companies and whatnot, and you're trying, like you're trying to sell yourself as being like, I'm 
I'm going to have a career. Mm-hmm. And if they go like, Oh, cool. Like with what? And you're like, well, I don't know yet. It's like, yeah. no, like, like you've got to, even if you're like, well, I, I wrote this, I would love to do a show in this vein. I've always been interested in this subject or just something to show that you've thought beyond. I mean, it's literally like just planning for your future. Like mm-hmm. if you want to be in the industry, have an idea of what direction you want to go, because if you do have that great one, like, let's say whatever you wrote hits, mm-hmm. like you, your second thing still has to be majority you. Like, I love when people mm-hmm. get managers and they go, well, they haven't done, like, they haven't gotten me something yet. I'm like, oh, having a manager is not the, does not mean like you're automatically given a job. No. It means there's somebody there that's trying to work in the trajectory of your career with you. And hopefully together you guys can figure something out, but it's, it's also like, you're not done when you get that. And you're not done when you get an agent. Like I literally got notes this morning from my agent on a feature that we outlined in July, a producer and I outlined it in July. I wrote it in August. I took a week and a half off when I had family in town on my birthday and crap. And I was like crying about turning 40. (laughs) Then I got back to it and I, you know, got notes from the producer and rewrote it and got it to my agent. He was like, how fast did you do this? And I was like, I'm not fucking around. Mm-hmm. I was like, I, I left a very cushy writer's assistant job to prove myself. Mm-hmm. So if I fail now, it's on me. So yeah. like, I've been doing that. I have a pilot I'm writing. We're doing a pitch. And it's like, yeah, like I'm going to have multiple things going because like I'm betting on myself. So I can't then mm-hmm. sit back and be like, well, whoops, it didn't happen. Cause if it doesn't happen, that's on me. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, I'm going to produce as much as I can, the best that mm-hmm. I can. Mm-hmm. And pray. <laughs> yeah, and and that's that's it. Your manager can't do anything for you yeah. if you're not doing that part. Yeah, you know that's exactly. the part. That's part of the hard lesson that I've learned this year. Yeah, is that like yeah, you know, your manager is only one small part of the equation. Well, they're a large part, but in the grand scheme of the entire equation, they're not that big. You, you're all equal parts moving together, yeah. and uh, you know under you know, the Katie white business, uh, the business of Katie white, the business of Andy Compton or whoever's listening, uh, you're a brand and people, and that's another misconception too, you know, is that your manager and your agents and stuff, they work for you, you know? Um, but if you're not giving them the tools they need to do their job well, uh, which is good writing, um, you know, uh, more than one script every five years, like you said, Yeah, it's it's having fresh material because the thing is like, they're trying to also sell you as this evolving product. Mm -hmm. They're not trying to say to you, like here, buy this one specific car. They're saying to you, this is why you should be a Honda guy. This is why Mm. you should only for the rest of your life own a Honda because in this direction and like, this is why you're uh, this person. Like, this is why this brand's for you because this, and it's, so it's not one specific, they're not trying to sell you a Honda Accord. They're selling mm-hmm. you the whole brand of Honda and saying, this is how they've run. This is what, the, where their heart is. This is where their company, like their, their brain goes. And this is how they're evolving. And yep. if you are like, well, here's this unheard of brand that only has one model. You're mm-hmm. like, oh, like that's, how do you ever sell that, that this is an evolving writer? And the worst part mm-hmm that nobody wants to admit is that like, strangely, I think probably since around the time that like Juno came out, Mm -hmm. suddenly the writer mattered more publicly in my mind, at least it did because Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. There was a funny story of how she got found through that. And then there mm-hmm. was, it was, you know, suddenly with the, with Breaking Bad and The Walking Dead, they started doing those shows afterwards where it would be like watching Breaking Bad and watching The Walking Dead or whatever they were called. Yeah, 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 yeah. And suddenly we could all pick Vince Gillian out of a lineup. Like we knew uh-huh. what he looked like. And suddenly, yeah. you know, there's Fleabag and she's stars in it. And suddenly she's a name and she's somebody that people recognize. And I think that- yeah. People forget that like nowadays, if you are exciting and you're starting and you're trying things and you're doing stuff, prodcos are going to be much more excited about somebody who's exciting. Yeah. And if you're not exciting, somebody whose ideas are different or wildly nostalgic or somebody just, you just have to bring something to the table that they can sell in a package Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you just have to be always evolving that package. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Uh, it's crazy how much personality really does matter. And like we talked about earlier with, you know, some writers tend to be introverts. Um, you know, my heart goes out to you if you're a more introverted person, because it's literally just who you are. Yeah. But like, you know, to have, to get ahead in this industry, you're gonna have to push against that part of your personality. Cause like you said, it's, it's a hundred percent networking. Yeah. Um, it's a hundred percent just like being able to talk well about yourself and what you're trying to do in these meetings. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's but just also, a big part of it. But also sometimes I gotta tell you, I envy the introvert because the more mm-hmm. anxious I am, the more annoying I am. <laughs> yeah. So like, I can relate. A room, like, I also think it's interesting that like when people, I think when people are setting up a room, they do look for a mixture of personalities. Like you want the person who's brings this to the table and brings that to the table. And there is a large spot for an introvert at the table. Uh, and I hadn't considered that. Because if you put 10 of me in a room, we will murder each other. <laughs> that is and so true. survives shotguns, still, you know, head writer, because yeah. we will not survive because the amount like, there's, it's just what personalities mesh well. It's like, it's like you're trying to yeah. create a dinner party and figuring out who should sit next to each other. Like it's just yeah. table seatings. And it's like, you can't. So like, I know that when I go into a room, I know I'm a lot and I know mm-hmm. that the more anxious I am, I'm a lot. So mm-hmm. I know to keep myself in check while I'm still anxious before, while I'm still trying to get comfortable, because if I don't, I'm suddenly like a one woman show yeah. And it's like, I got, and it's, but I'm aware of that. So I think people that are introverted, well, it's probably harder for them, even if it's just having a funny anecdote that you can tell easily, that's your way in, you know, we're mm-hmm. having those things. It's just keeping that in your back pocket. Cause I literally keep like a silencer in my back pocket pocket where I'm like, keep it. I'm like, stop it. I'm like, you, I'm like, you are in a new room with mm-hmm. a lot of energy and a lot of different things. And my anxiety will make that really amp me up. So I have to be aware of that. So I think that it is really, I think it's hard for all personalities because it's mm. just like who you're going to be trapped on an Island with. Yeah. That's so interesting. Cause I'd always knew about when you're building a room, you know, you want someone with this life experience and someone yeah. with that life, but I hadn't thought about personality types. And that's so yeah. true. Cause I've, I've given that like, this is me sort of like taking a step back on that stance. I've said on the podcast before of like, you know, a lot of introverts are going to have to push through that a little bit, but you're right. Like there is kind of room at the table for that too. I think it's more so like, uh, it's a, it's a balancing act that we do in those kind of meetings because like, 
you know, you have to get your vision across. You have to get why you're a good writer across, but also like, don't be a dick about it too. You know, like yeah. have a little bit of humbleness and modesty that's clear yeah. and self-aware. Um, it's a balancing act for sure. Yeah. And uh, it's easy to get in your head. So anyway, if I could give one piece of advice, you would probably have better advice. You, you've done more, but like in the meetings that I've taken this year is just like truly try your hardest to be yourself. That's, I think that's the best advice. I actually, yeah. um, I was given the nicest compliment ever by a producer who was like hanging out with Katie on a zoom was like having a drink with somebody at a bar. Like she was mm. like, it's great. It was like, I was literally like having a relaxing drink with somebody. And I feel like I don't go in with anything other than like, like I want to know them as much as they want to know me because, because mm. if I'm, the more I know about that person, I'll then maybe there's a connection there. Maybe there's something we're both interested in or something, but I learned very quickly that the second I went into something trying to sell myself, but also trying to sell who I thought they wanted me to be. Mm. Like I became this, like, I also like the more nervous I am, the more I curse, which is super great. So like <laughs> that real, I think my first general meeting was just a real shit show of me. Like I was just, it was bad, but, um, yeah, yeah. but I feel like the minute you just go in there and you just own who you are and like everybody, mm -hmm. you know, I think everybody has something to bring to the table. And as long mm -hmm. as you, I think also, one of the most important things about being able to be in a room is that there will be other personalities and that mm. that's awesome. And that they all get the, get respected. And they're all like, I think that's so important is to, mm. you know, your voice isn't more important than anybody else's. You're mm -hmm. just, you're all there for the same kind of goal. Mm -hmm. And I think that it, there is a nervousness that happens where people try to put their best foot forward, but sometimes that's not always, it doesn't always work that way in a writer's room. You know, I feel like sometimes you just gotta be like, okay, like these are, this is what I'm good at. This, these are my flaws. What do you got? Like type of thing. Cause yeah. 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 And a healthy understanding of what I need to control with my personality to be the best yeah. small part of this big yeah. thing. Exactly. Uh, okay. So we still have a few questions. So I'm going to start trying <laughs> to like, just get through. Okay. Uh, but also, um, this has been fantastic. So <laughs> with your process too, you have a brand new idea. You're just sitting there like, holy shit, maybe that's a thing. What's the first thing that you want to do? Do you like think about like a log line? Like, what could this be? Do you think about a character? Do you think about, do you jump into an outline? Uh, some people just start writing a scene. And I think they're psychotic, yeah. but they're good writers. So they, <laughs> some people do that. Um, yeah. What's the first thing you do when you're like, oh shit, I think that's a thing. So usually with me, it's as if I've seen the trailer. Mm -hmm. Like usually when an idea comes to me, I know four big points of it. Like I'll know, I'll be like, oh, it's, it's these two characters. This is, this'll happen. Like I just, it's like, I've seen the trailer. So mm -hmm. I know like the hot spots I need to hit. And usually I'll just open up final draft. And like, I, unless I'm outlining for somebody else, mm -hmm. I always outline in final draft and I don't outline much, but I, it's almost like my first draft is an outline. Like I'll just open it up and I'll be like first scene. And it's, it'll literally be like, there's two characters. I saw them like this. And it's like, shit happens, shit happens, shit happens. And there's another scenes like this. And then it's like, and then I'm like, and the, the last scene I saw was this. So it'll end on like this kind of a moment. And then it's like, then I'll step back and I'll be like, okay, so like, what would get me? I, I literally mm -hmm. feel like I'm like Dora the Explorer where I'm like, okay, I need to get from here to there. Like, yeah, what yeah. the hell do I need for my backpack? 
Um, yeah. That's the nanny and me coming out, but, uh, <laughs> but I'll fill it out. And, and it's like, so it starts out of just like these really frail bones and I start putting the flesh on them and, and like, and then by the, I also like, by the time I've done this like three or four times and gone through the script, it's now, if it's a feature, it's now like 45 pages long mm. and it's called an outline of what each scene's going to be. And it's ready to go. Like I'm ready to just fill in all the dialogue and kind of just go, which is great. I also, mm-hmm. I have to print, it's a visual thing. I'm, I struggle to edit on a computer. Mm. Um, and I'm very, I'm a tactile learner. So I want to hold things. Mm-hmm. So I, I have like a favorite pen that I buy religiously. And mm-hmm. I, you know, at like this stupid store around the corner, that's probably really overpriced, but like I have, I, so I print everything. Like I print every draft and I go through mm-hmm. it because I also feel like like I start from the top and I go through the whole thing. And then the next day I start from the top and I go through the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So I feel like by the time I give somebody what I consider like a second draft, it's technically probably like a fifth or sixth draft. Cause I've gone through it a billion times and you start to build and you start to catch where things are falling off. And I just feel like start like, and I understand that that's that a lot of people's brains can't work that way, but I can literally put like scene somewhere, something, and it's like something happens. And if I don't know what that is, I'm not going to, bullshit myself and try, I'm going to skip it and go to the next one. Mm -hmm. And if I'm really stuck on a script, I tend to work on two things at a time. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when I'm stuck on one, I save it, put it aside, start the next one. And when I'm stuck on that one, for some reason, the second I get stuck on one of them, I can easily write a scene of the other one. And the second Mm -hmm. I'm stuck on the other one, I can easily write a scene of the other one because my brain's like not thinking it through so much. So I kind of tend to bounce back and forth. Yeah. Nice. That's a cool writing hack. I'm going to have to try that. I think. Yeah, it works really, I swear it works really well. I've, oh, and I've always done it. Like I, I don't know if it's an ADD thing. I don't know what it is, but the second, like working on two projects at once really does. Cause it's like, the, and they're, they're always a little, you know, they tend to be different genres or something. So it's like this freedom from when you're beating yourself up about like your sad scene in this drama, you mm-hmm. go to like work comedy scene, something else. And it's like your, your brain's free of that. So you just swap. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. Uh, so on average, how long does it take you to complete a first draft? Like from, I have this idea until the end. I mean, I think it just depends on the project. I've had ones where it was a few days. I've had ones where it was a few months. I've had mm-hmm. some where I was like, never mind, fuck this. Mostly when it's like things that I'm working on for myself, it's, you know, I think it just depends on where my passion in it lies. But I, for this feature, I think my first, my actual like first full draft that I was willing to show somebody was done after probably, probably three weeks of writing. Um, Mm -hmm. And then that was, and I, but I felt very guilty. I felt for me, I felt like that was a long time, but it was also one of the first projects I have a producer who helped come up with the idea with me. So mm. I was teasing myself, which is such an off, like, cause that's the other reason I always tell people to like share their work a lot. And like early, I'm like, because you're just pleasing yourself and it's really easy to please yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Second, somebody else goes, well, I was really hoping that this would feel, you're like, Oh shit. Like your opinion matters too. And it's valid. And, mm-hmm. and also like most of the time people will give you things that you go, shit, I didn't see that. And like, now that I do, it kind of reworks things. So mm-hmm. I think this one was about three weeks, maybe three and a half. And that pissed me off personally, but, yeah. <laughs> but we were also working off a very detailed outline because we've yeah. gone through everything. Right. Together right. because we're working on it together. So yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's not bad. Working off a, a detailed outline. It yeah. makes a little more sense that it went pretty quick. Honestly, yeah. three and a half weeks isn't bad. Wasn't uh, bad. <laughs> so then when your first draft is complete, what is the first thing you like to do? Do you have a select group of friends? Do you send it to your reps? Uh, do you put it right in the nickel? <laughs> I, I have I have a select group of friends that it's interesting. I have a f- group of friends that it's almost like a graduating class. Like we've all been buddies in this industry for a while, for mm-hmm. well, probably a decade now. And we yeah. all started out as being like, one day I really hope. And like at this point, my one friend legitimately sells shit like so much it's alarming and uh-huh. <laughs> insane. And then yeah. everybody's like, everybody's repped now and every mm-hmm. single one of us is repped. Every single one of us has had an opportunity here, opportunity there. So we've all kind of risen up at the same time mm-hmm. and we've been sharing our work for a decade. So it's like, mm-hmm. we just, we have shorthands now and we have, you know, all of that, which really works. And, and I, I also keep it to a really limited group where it's like, I, I appreciate that they're all so busy. So if it's like, if so-and-so has read like the last two things and it's been like kind of back to back, it's like, okay, like they've got their own shit going on. So it's like, Hey, like you do you, and it's always been like, do you have the time and, and being totally cool if they're like, Hey, I don't have the bandwidth for this right now, Yeah, but but we have, it's, it's interesting. And also the great thing about that is like the amount of like the producer that I'm working with was one of my, this woman, Christy Dick, who's a phenomenal comedy writer. She's amazing. And Christy mm-hmm. was like, Hey, you should meet him and you two should speak. And it was like, and like, that's how it is. Like I have friends who have put me up for things and I put up friends up for things. And it's like, mm-hmm. when you have kind of this graduating class together, you all have each other's backs and you're mm-hmm. all working towards the same goal. And it's like, I know I don't write sci-fi and my friend writes amazing sci-fi so if i hear somebody's looking for that i'm not going to pretend that's the other thing is i'm not going to shoehorn myself where i don't fit because yeah. i will write you a sci-fi and it's gonna be rough and yeah, it's gonna, yeah, yeah. Like, and i'm not gonna yeah. sleep i'm gonna scare myself like that's not where my brain is. Mm-hmm. it's not, not worth it's not worth it whenever you can put your friend up you know who like, is already killing like, it it won't be my best work and it's like yeah. that's their best work so it's like yeah. let, like that's I just really believe in like pulling everybody up. And I also believe that like a rising, what is it? A rising tide raises all ships. Like something like that. Yeah. I think that's it. I think you nailed it. Yeah. I would have got that crazy wrong. Right. (laughs) Yeah. I kind of hope I got it crazy wrong, but like when when everybody's kind of moving forward and they, and they helped you on your journey and they've seen your progress. It's so like, I've seen friends who it's like, were great writers 10 years ago and now they're writing. You're like, how the, like, it's just incredible to see that transformation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just also like the networking there is great. Cause it's your friends all want to connect people that they care about with other people that they care about. And it just kind of builds your group of humans to be larger because it's a really lonely career as a writer, a lot, like even mm-hmm. in a room, you're in this room with all the support. And then it's like, okay, we'll go. It's your turn. Go off. Yeah. And you're like, and suddenly you feel like you are the loneliest person in the world. So I feel like it's mm-hmm. so important to really build those people that you can kind of grow and learn with. Mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting thing. Yeah. I love that so much. And I do think it's so important. I feel like I'm still building my little network, but that makes me think whenever you were talking about like where this little like pre WGA Twitter writer class is going to be in 10 years. Yeah. You know, all, cause yeah. I, I don't, I don't know how long have you been active on Twitter? Oh, I don't even know. I don't know. For me, it was like, uh, I always had Twitter. 
since like 2009, yeah. but for many, and before I was a writer and for many years, I just couldn't figure it out. I had no friends on there. I'd, yeah. I'd tweet and fucking no one would respond. And uh, that went on for many years of like, I'd pop in and then I'd leave for four years and then I'd pop back yeah. into the same account. Yeah, it's still my same account. But um, then during the pandemic, uh, right when it started, actually, I was like, I should open up Twitter. And then I like somehow found the screenwriting corner and I was like, holy shit, this is amazing because yeah. this is like, I need to see other people who are experiencing the struggles and the wins. And it just gives me motivation to keep going and keep writing and I'm learning from these people. So for me, it was like the beginning of the pandemic when I really, really fell into the screenwriting Twitter yeah. world. And uh, it's just been cool even in that two years to see like I have multiple people who I followed since 2020 who in the time I followed them got their rep or made their first sale or yeah. whatever and it's just so got into the wga and it's so fucking awesome to see and inspiring right. and just yeah awesome and it's so fun to celebrate everybody else like i i i always say like one of my best qualities that i've really honed as an adult is i'm a great fucking cheerleader i'm also yeah. like a great wingman it's terrifying but like, <laughs> it's like a weird skill like i yeah I've been good at that since college. I'm like, every guy friend of mine is like, you're great. I'm like, no, listen, I'll, I'll hook you up. I've, I'll find you some ladies. Like, it's, Oh, that's amazing. Right. It's, it's a weird skill, but I also yeah. am a great cheerleader because I, I just look at how much, first of all, when you're a writer, it's like how many of us are blessed enough to be like, like right now. And like, I can't say this will be forever, but right now I'm very blessed that this is what I'm doing full time. Am mm -hmm. I getting paid at the moment? No, I saved up like a fucking squirrel. Mm -hmm. I, I put so much money away mm -hmm. so that I was like, Hey, I'm going to bet on myself. I can do mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. And I'm very lucky that I have this opportunity to do this, but like, I don't, I can't always say I won't have a day job or that has nothing mm -hmm. to do with, it. I, you know, life yeah. has a billion things. So like mm -hmm. we all can look at somebody and go like, Holy shit. A, you finished something. Mm -hmm. B, you finished something and then you worked your ass off to make it great. Mm -hmm. Then you set it off with this. Then you did this. Like the amount of steps it takes. If we aren't applauding each other, we are the biggest assholes. <laughs> I know, like, right? It's so hard. Yeah. It's so hard. And and it's not something that's like deserved by everybody. Of course, like that's not life. But mm -hmm. like, it doesn't mean that it takes anything away from you either. Like there's no cap to how many people can be in this. Yeah. Um, you know, just keep on busting your ass. And one mm -hmm. day, you know, hopefully if you just get there you get there and if not befriend everybody who's getting there and they'll help you get there yeah yeah like, seriously that's yeah the, that's the best thing is to see like mm -hmm. i have this guy um ron peterson who's an amazing person who was my dog walker for years and he was mm -hmm. like hey i'm gonna be a writer i was like that's awesome he's like would you read something for me and i was like sure but i'm gonna do what i do with my friends i'm gonna rip it up like i'm gonna be tough on you because mm -hmm. i want to do this and he was awesome about it. Cause a lot of people, mm -hmm. I have been called a bitch a lot after I give notes. I'm like, all right, cool. I was like, I yeah. I'm like, yeah. I, I yeah. do what I do myself. Like my, my own scripts are like, are you fucking stupid? Like I'm not kind on my own scripts. I'm uh -huh. kind to other people though. And yeah. I gave him notes and he was awesome about taking them. And then he sent me a script and I was like, holy shit. I was like, this is awesome. And then he shot it as a short film and it's super good. I was like, this isn't, but I was like, I felt so happy that like he had found his footing because mm -hmm. like life is so fucking hard. Being mm -hmm. an artist is so much harder. Like I always wish I'm like, why couldn't I have wanted to be a gym teacher? Yeah. I it know. Really, really nice. Yeah. But I'd probably be a lot fitter. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'd have time for that. I'd be right. able to watch like high school romances and be like, oh, those two are breaking up. Like that sounds charming to me. Yeah. But instead, I was even in gym class, I'd be sitting in a corner writing. So like mm-hmm. I don't think anybody would choose to be creative at once they know how hard it is. So anybody trying, I'm there for. Yeah. Uh, okay, so Katie, what are some of your hobbies outside of screenwriting that help to keep you sane? Um, I don't have a lot. (laughs) I didn't have a lot for a very long time when I had a full-time job because writing was what I had to do on my, the outside of it. Of course. Yeah. And like, while I was a writer's assistant, like that was having a full-time job and write, even when I had my episode, I was still the writer's assistant. So while people helped out, you know, so that I wasn't all on me, it still was like having a full-time job and then another full-time job at the same time. Mm -hmm. So um, I, so long that I didn't have time for hobbies or like, to be honest, like so much, much of a social life that now I've made that like my hobby is making sure I get out and get together with people and take care of myself. Because as you get older, it is, I swear, like I went from being able to like eat a cheesesteak and like at like 2 AM wake up and still be like very skinny in my twenties to being like, mm. I can smell somebody making a hamburger now. And I gain like eight pounds. And I'm like, yeah. well, just so like, I feel like, <laughs> I've realized that taking care of myself is so much more important. Um, and I live yeah. in a house now that I'm like, now I get to do like, I have like, I'll garden and I'll, I mean, I'll water plants. I don't fucking know how to garden, but I water things and I get uh-huh. really myself that I go outside and water shit. And yeah. so like little things like now that I live in, like I live in Highland park now. So I've got a cute neighborhood. So I'm very much into like trying all the restaurants and like seeing where I live and having that, like, having that home life that's worth having. And also now that I work for myself, I try to really keep myself on a schedule so that um, I'm not writing crazy times on the weekends. So that like, now that this is my full-time job, I'm trying to make sure that even though I write a little bit better at night than I do during the day, I still, that means my day is mine. Like I'm not going to force myself to work like I'm working two jobs anymore because I do need to, respect my sanity. Um, I probably watch way too much television. It's mm-hmm. um, I'll watch anything anybody's talking about. Cause I want to see, even if I, it's not for me, I want to see what people are getting out of it. And I want to see mm-hmm. what I can learn from it. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of that. I love to cook. Um, I'm also like a serial dater cause I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so I should probably stop being so picky, but you know, you live and you learn. So, but yeah, like I think that like I, have, I have dogs that keep me pretty busy, but like I'm cheesy. Like I'm excited. I just got like Halloween decorations for outside of my house. So it's like stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's like, awesome. I'm very domestic lately, which has been fun. Yeah. It sounds like a very wholesome existence. Honestly, I love it. And it yeah. kind of sounds like the dream for any of us chasing this, this career to make it your full-time job and yeah. be like, I am financially okay enough that like, I can just have a nice little house and a nice little yeah. neighborhood and do my thing and go around to the local places and meet up with my friends. But I'm also working for myself and I'm taking that work very serious. That's like the dream. That, yeah, that's my dream. Um, I would suggest, I hate to suggest another podcast while I'm on a podcast. No, go but, for it. Go for but, it. Um, I don't care. Also, like, I feel like it like, well, it's Dax Shepard's podcast. Oh, the, not that one. No, right? I just got done listening to Kevin Bacon's episode earlier. It's great. It's but amazing. The R.L. Stein one. Oh, I haven't. The R.L. Stein one. I texted so many people and I was like, Hey, I know that you're not like a podcast listener, but listen to this because the amount of work R.L. Stein churned out was like insane. 
Like he, Weirdly, I, they talked about it in the Kevin Bacon episode today. I think they said, oh. how many books did he write? Oh my gosh, I can't, but weirdly they brought it up in that episode, but keep going, I'm sorry. And when they talked, when they interview him, he's so great about going like, well, it was a job. And you're like, what? And he's like, it's a job. And he's like, so I had, I forget where, I think he worked in like a shed or some neat like little workspace, whatever. But he's like, Mm -hmm. but I worked from this time until this time. Mm -hmm. And no matter where I was, when that alarm went off or when it hit that time, I was done. No matter if I was in this great thing, I was done because I had a wife, I had kids and like, but it was my job. So like Mm -hmm. there was, he's, he's the opposite of anybody who gets super, like we all know that person who's so flowery about their writing that they will sadly never be successful with it because they've, they've made it unsustainable. Mm -hmm. They've made it a writing existence that can't actually survive because Mm -hmm. it's so overthought and overdone. And he's the opposite where he's like, it was my job. So from this time till this time, that's what I did. And then when that's done, I was done. I went and did other stuff. And then I came back the next day and it's like, there were no excuses. There was no nothing. He's like, I just worked. He's like, I just wrote. He's like, and yeah, some days it wasn't my best. You just keep mm-hmm. going, keep writing. Mm-hmm. And it was such a great thing to be like, Hey, like this is how he produced so much stuff because he was just writing and he was, and he wasn't allowing himself to get too stuck in his ego about like the, the flowery moments of it. He was just mm-hmm. like, no, now I'm writing, you know? Cause I, mm-hmm. I mean, I know people who are like, I had, to, I had to rent a house for three weeks so I could write this. And I'm like, man, that sounds expensive. I'm like, oh, yeah. listen, am I jealous? Hell yeah. I would yeah. love to do that and yeah. do Would I one day do that. Maybe I would be that person. Like I wouldn't mind yeah. it. Yeah. Think I'd write better. No, I don't. Right. Right. I don't would actually change. I think actually I'd get more excited about like being in a different place that I'd probably write less. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It goes back to that thing you said about like, you know, being a pro, you got to learn to write in different conditions and sometimes things aren't going to be perfect and you got to write. I mean, I do, I do give a caveat to anybody who has children and who's trying to write or I, I have the luxury of living by myself. So I have, you know, which is great and also awful, but it's uh, great. Yeah. I was yeah. writing because it's like, I, so I do, I understand that I have friends with infants who are trying to write and like, man, I will rent you a house. Cause I, I understand that that is making your life impossible. I just yeah. mean, you know, there are some times that you're making, there's sometimes when you make the obstacle of writing so big that you never get to actually write. And like mm-hmm. people could re- just remove that and just keep writing like, okay, just move mm-hmm. on, write yeah. something else, keep going, just keep, keep yeah. doing it. Cause the minute you give yourself too many excuses, you've given yourself an out and then yeah. there's nothing to be in. Yeah. I've interviewed a few uh, writers who are parents of small children on this podcast yeah. and it, it always humbles me. It always makes right. me like, yeah, why am I getting in my own way again? Because right. these people are like, I have 45 minutes today yeah. to write. And I'm yeah. going to make every minute count. And meanwhile, yeah. I'm just like on Twitter in front of my laptop on my phone I, I, and just like, yeah, yeah can't I, focus. And yeah. My first week after I left NCIS, I was like, I'm going to write so much. This is going to be crazy. And I, it was probably the laziest I've ever been. And I had, I was like, okay. So like it was a week, like you would just, you need, it was a life change. And then like the next week wasn't better. And mm-hmm. thank God for therapy. Cause she was like, Hey, is there a chance you need structure and uh, you're not good at this if you're giving yourself too much? And I was like, yes. Like I almost need somebody to be like, we need this in 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. So I need that, like that pressure. So I had yeah. to become my own pressure because I, there is a thing where it's like, if you have the opportunity to take too many 
breaks and too many of this. And that's like, it's hard to keep yourself on track. Yeah. And I do, I look at friends who have, you know, all these other aspects in life. And I go, and they're like, but I had this one hour. I'm like, oh, I don't respect that hour enough sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, like, like, and it's also like, you got to, res- like, I realized I wasn't respecting myself or my time enough because I would be wasting six hours to do what I could have done in one. And mm-hmm. I was like, I could have the whole freaking day to do whatever yeah. I wanted. But instead, I sat there going like, writing's hard. It's like, shut <laughs> up. <laughs> yeah. All right. So pressing along here, we're almost yes. done. Uh, of the scripts that you've written, which is your favorite and why? So I think it's such a hard question because obviously like I like a lot of them and like for her pleasure, which is based on like very loosely based, but on the time that I was selling sex toys, like because a lot of the wild aspects of it are things I experience. It means a lot to me, but I I have a pilot called built that people either really love or they're like, (laughs) absolutely hate it. Like there's no middle ground with it. Mm -hmm. It's probably my favorite thing I've ever written. And I think it's Mm -hmm. really, I think what's so fascinating is how, like, I would say 75% of people are like, no, this isn't it. And then the 25 that are, are like, holy shit. They're like, I get it. I'm like, oh, okay. So like, I think it's my baby because it's kind of like, like who was the, who was the Giants quarterback, the younger brother? Giants quarterback? Uh, Was it Eli Manning, Peyton Manning? Uh, I don't know if it was Eli Manning. Yeah. So I feel like Eli Manning's parents liked him more because Mm -hmm. you always like the kid that struggles more than you like the kid that's, that it's easy for. (laughs) Uh So I feel like I love built because to me, I see all the nuances and I see all the beautiful moments in built. And the fact that most people don't see it, which is probably because it's, it's written very much for what I like. And I'm probably don't like super, a lot of mainstream stuff. So like, Mm -hmm. I know it's written. It's the thing that's probably the most, me of anything I've ever written. Um, mm-hmm. and it's so funny to me that like, there's such a small percentage of people that are like, Oh my God, I love that. Like I got that. And, and then there's people who are like, your lead character barely talks. I'm like, I know <laughs> they're like, what the fuck? and I'm like, I'm we... cool with it. just, yeah. So like, I feel like I love it the most because it's like, I feel like it's the most that people don't understand. So yeah. I feel like as a parent, <laughs> I need to support that one more than the rest. Yeah. Can we get a log line? Um, built is just basically about, um, it's about a God, of course, you're going to ask me for a log line. I'm going to forget what a log line even is. It's about uh, a, a body, a washed up bodybuilder who has to kind of resurrect his career from 20 years ago to try and make ends meet. But mm-hmm. it turns out that 20 years ago, he was roped into like the gay for pay industry of bodybuilding and mm-hmm. like lost like a lot of his life to bad management and all of the vicious things that were in the bodybuilding industry in like the early nineties. So, so it's very much in, it's a world that like I didn't belong in. I spent like three years researching it because it was just like, I had this character in my head and I couldn't get him out of my head. But the thing is like, he didn't say anything. Like he was just quiet. Mm. And so I was like, I'm going to write a script about a guy who doesn't talk. And then I just made it about all the women that kind of like took over his career for him, like an ex-wife and an old manager and, all of these people and how much like I was fascinated when I learned about how much of the industry, mostly like in the early nineties was really this muscle worship kink that people have was mm-hmm. what funded a lot of people's careers. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought it's so interesting because it was like these very wealthy men were paying 
for their career because they could they had this muscle worship and they tended to be very frail men who are obsessed with these Adonis type figures. And I found that juxtaposition so fascinating that these yeah. men became the most masculine they could look and then had to sell themselves in what's considered a very feminine way to make men ends meet, to be this masculine. And I was like, this is so, it's like a revolving door that I couldn't even get my head around. That's so crazy interesting. Years. Yeah, I spent years like stalking all these poor bodybuilders being like, hey, you want to talk to me about steroids? Which was never went over well. Um, <laughs> until I, found I can a couple see that. that I found a couple that were like, yeah, I'll talk to you about steroids. I was like, hell yeah, like you're my guys. So, um, but yeah, yeah it was just fascinating. Uh, what's a recent accomplishment of yours that you're proud of? Could be screenwriting related, doesn't have to be. <laughs> um, I would actually say leaving my job would uh -huh. be uh, something that I'm really proud of because it was, a it was like a cushy setup as a writer's assistant and it was comfortable and I am terrible at leaving things. Um, I will beat a relationship until it's done. You know, like I, I just, when I'm in, I'm in and I yeah. hate change. And yeah. I really thought, I thought it was going to be this detrimental move. And uh -huh. it's turned out to be probably one of the best decisions I've ever made. I've written the most I've ever written in the last couple months. I've written some of my best work in the last couple of months. And it's like, I think, but it would, it would have been so easy to stay and making that decision, um, which listen, like still financially probably wasn't bright, but was sometimes it, it was the safest choice. And I'm really, I love safety and security. So I'm very proud of myself for leaving that. <laughs> you know, yeah, no, that's amazing. Yeah. Up very brave but um it's important you know especially in our industry to uh bet on yourself yeah i yeah. mean like listen ask me in like six months and we might be <laughs> yeah 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 but even then even if it doesn't yeah. work out it's like yeah. you know you took the shot and that's yeah. what counts yeah. so it'll it'll be good i think yeah yeah i think it's gonna work out Thanks. uh for sure okay so actually we're at the final question okay what are a few words of advice that you would give to your fellow screenwriters, especially those who are just getting started? I know um, we've done that the whole episode, but well, you got to <laughs> dig up something else. Well, I always, I always feel so weird giving advice because I feel like I have no right to give advice. Um, mm -hmm. But I would just say that, you know, really surviving is the most important thing as a writer. Um, get the, get the amount of time out of your head. I know people who could write me under the table who left LA after six months when they didn't make it big. And it's like, get all of those ideas out of your head and just, you're either in this for life or you're, you just should find something else. But I really think it's just about being able to to have longevity like a lot of things are going to come and go and a lot of opportunities are going to seem great and they won't be and that's just the name of the game but it's it's not an easy industry and i know throughout this whole thing we said how brutal it is and how this and that but it's also like such a wonderful industry to be in and um i had a a little um thing where a, a cousin of mine reached out to me a while ago and said that she's, she works as she's a nurse and she had a hospice patient who was going home with cancer. And he wanted to see the last episodes of breaking a better call Saul before he passed away because he only had a few days left. And 
that team came together and like, I put it on Twitter and people came, I mean, it was amazing. The community that came together to make this happen. But what was so fascinating to me was that like, it was, what was so grounding to me was the realization that like, that was somebody's last wish after suffering for, I think he was like 15 years as this man was suffering and what his reprieve was, was watching the show and watching with his sister and his family. And like, they watched Breaking Bad together and then they watched Better Call Saul together. And that like, you have a chance to create something that is somebody's last wish, or you have a chance to create something where even a music, like the theme song makes people remember this, where a Mm -hmm. line will be what somebody puts in their wedding vows. Like Mm -hmm. you are in such a awesome, awesome place. And it's so like just beautiful what you're able to do. You can create something that makes everybody universally scream at the same time. Cause no matter what language, we're all scared of the same shit popping out at us. Like you, yeah. it just, it's a really powerful and beautiful thing that we're all so lucky to be a part of. And like that moment just really reminded me that like, it's insane that I've met like my friend Lewis, who's an amazing writer. His daughter is named after a character from NCIS. And I still think that's the funniest thing I've ever heard. And he was like, <laughs> we love that. And it's like, yeah. holy shit. Like somebody I know created a character that like people loved so much. They named their child after it. Like mm-hmm. the I character think, they I'm, created. Right. So it's like, <laughs> you gotta, you gotta yeah. look at it and go like, this is the coolest shit in the world. Mm-hmm. It really is. It's so yeah. easy to forget it. It's so hard and it can be so brutal and it's so fucking awesome. And it's like, yeah. you got to remember that it's just really a privilege and a pleasure that we get to be creating really awesome things. And a lot of times you won't feel like you're creating really awesome things. But the truth is my mother can quote screenplays that nobody's liked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. You're creating some, somebody out there saw Geely and was like, this movie's the shit. And yeah. like, you know, so like, <laughs> To somebody yep. you're, you're making, you're creating a world they get to escape to. And that's a privilege and it should be treated like that. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like it's taken for granted a lot. I feel like people love to go on Twitter and go, here's my advice and everybody else is wrong. And here's what you did wrong. Here's what you did wrong. And it's like, just stop focusing on what everybody did wrong, support each other. And like the best thing you can do is realize it's collaborative at some point you got to help people up instead of pushing them down Mm because it's going to be really lonely. If you're up there alone, making like, yeah, yeah. try to try to be a positive piece of the puzzle. Yeah. And just try, you know, stand up for people fight for the things you believe in and just don't ever forget how lucky you are to be like in this world of just creating. I mean, when COVID hit, people went to their television sets. Mm hmm. You know, people, what art yep. is a privilege. And I think we forget that a lot. And, mm-hmm. and also art is not done in a vacuum, you know? So like find your people that was, it took me a decade. It literally took me a decade to find my people. And then I found mm-hmm. them and now it's like just been everything. And I hate that I said that because I know people hate when you say find you know, your people, but I said it. <laughs> but it's so true though. It, no, it's so true. Actually, the meeting I had before this wasn't an industry meeting. Uh, I was meeting with uh, a DP who my friend is friends with, and we're all just making little, you know, low to no budget shorts oh, here yeah. in St. Louis. 
and he was a new uh, potential collaborator. And, you know, I, we, we had a nice little meeting and yeah, that's kind of what me and my actor buddy, uh, Larry Clauden, a good <laughs> funny dude that I came up, like, uh, we met in community college and did improv training and shit together. Um, we're trying to just build a little collective here in St. Louis, you know, of people who are like-minded and, you know, yeah. cool and not a bunch of weird egos and just, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you, and, and you never know, you know, on, on our feature that fell apart, I was introduced to an amazing cinematographer, um, Adrian Correa, who's just fantastic. And we became close friends and the film fell apart. And it was like, one day, hopefully we'll work together and we still keep in touch. And during COVID, a lot of his phone calls kept me sane, you know, mm-hmm. and he's like, he's supposed to come out here but he's now done like the flight attendant and all these huge, you know, Kevin can fuck himself and all these huge things. And watching him progress has been like such a joy because it's like, nobody's just such a deserving human being, Mm -hmm. but it's also like, you just, you never know where people are going to go or what they're going to do with themselves. And, but also even if he'd never become anything, it was just who he was during COVID. The amount of people from this industry that reached out knowing that I was single and like by myself during COVID was such a, my whole family's on the East Coast. It was very, you know, Isolating. that community matters. And that community really, those are the people you want to be stuck in a room with. You know, those totally. are the people you want to be on a set with in some remote state where you go like, oh shit, like we got, we're all here for three months. Like those are your people. So mm-hmm. I think that's, I think that's the most important thing is like, stay grounded. Don't let your head get too big you know, you're creating something amazing and moving, but you're one of a billion people on that project. And yeah. you're not more important than the person that's making the coffee. Cause yeah. none of you are getting shit done if there's no coffee. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. 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 Perfect advice. Perfect thing to end <laughs> on. I love it. Katie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This is so much fun. All right, y'all. That was a good episode. That's Katie White. Um, just like a wealth of information, having been, you know, a full-on professional writer on a show like NCIS, and uh, I, I really enjoyed our chat. Um, if you guys enjoyed it, go ahead and talk about it on Twitter. Send a tweet. Tag us up. Social Writer Pod. Um, we, I really appreciate like hearing your feedback and whatever. Um, it just, it it helps me to know that there is a reason to keep doing this. Uh, I enjoy it, but like, you know, it does take some work. That said, if you want to donate to the show, uh, you can do that. Go to our Linktree link, Twitter or Instagram. And the top link is a donate button that takes you to a PayPal account and you can throw a few dollars our way. It helps me out a lot. You know, these things uh, are a labor of love and uh, a few dollars never hurts. That's it this week, guys. I'm sorry the episodes have been a little more sporadic lately. I've just been busy. Um, I'm trying to keep it up and trying to keep some cool guests coming and everything. So bear with me if it's not, you know, as close to bi-weekly as it used to be. However, it's going to keep happening. Uh, thank you guys. I hope you're all taking care of yourselves out there. I hope you're all meeting your writing goals, um, taking rejection in stride and all of that good stuff. Uh, I will see you guys next time. Uh, bye bye. The social screenwriters podcast.